Hi, what's up? Welcome to episode 40 Me Dwelle Podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson. Just a short introduction before we roll on with Dan Tennell, team member, sponsor of the team. Um, you know, at the at the outset of creating the Me Dwelle Podcast, one of our ideas was making sure that the people on the team knew and were aware of each other and uh, learned some cool things about the guys and gals that we cycle with. So along with all these these cool guests that we've had on, uh, one of the funnest things to do is to interview our own kind, uh, the people that are on the team, that ride for the team, that have for years or that are new, that each come on and share their story a, a little bit about who they are, why they ride, why they're on the team, and uh, some advice uh, that they've learned over the years. So Welcome to Dan's podcast. We're grateful that he would be on. Very busy man uh, with his family, his job, his career. So we're grateful that Dan would would take the time to share some of the cool things about him and why he uh, why he cycles, why he's part of this great team. So uh, at the outset, thank you, Dan. Thank you to all those who spend their time uh, being on the podcast and uh, sharing who they are with each other. Uh, Beyond that, there's a few announcements at the beginning about Team Camp in St. George. Uh, the new kit order for 2022 summer spring is coming and uh, all the great things that are happening uh, with the team. So thank you. Uh, grateful for the listeners. Thankful for 40 episodes. Dang, we're really getting up there. So uh, onward. Um, enjoy this episode and we'll see you the next one. Thanks. All right. What's up? Welcome to Dwelle Podcast. Greetings, Chip, Dan. Hey. Hello. Hello. Uh, today, we are visiting with our esteemed colleague. Um, Dan, we'll just, we'll hold, pause. We'll just pause on you. We'll, we'll do an introduction here in a sec. Uh, first, just a couple announcements. Team Camp, March 17th through 20th. Please put it on your calendar, St. George. Second, kits are, dude, we are close. We're counting down two weeks till they should be arriving here at our office. So they should be shipped sometime around January 24th, 2022. And then we'll figure out how to get together and spread COVID uh, through the kits. It'll be great. Right, Chip? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're just going to chuck them to everybody from the car. Just to, uh, dude, but it's really fun. Uh, we already sold out all the black socks. So I had to reorder black socks sweatshirts t-shirts hats uh it's gonna be really fun to send them all out to everybody so um anyway hey uh will you guys share your current training status chip how's that going for you yeah good yeah happy to in the winter i love to ski um love to hike and skin and ski and then just uh, ski in general and i love the time still on the bike outside on the fat bike. And of course, regular, I'm a regular on Zwift. Um, mm. but I, I kind of keep the Zwifting to about one hour sessions so that I can get some weightlifting in, um, mm. along with just to keep things mixed up. So, so I may be different than those listening. I definitely mix up about four months, four okay. months of the year. Great. Uh, Dan Tanell, how how is your current training status? Well, it's a new year, so I'm ready to get back on the bike and new start you. riding again. New me. Yeah, I usually uh, I take a little bit of time off the bike and at the end of the year and kind of. Dude, you've been skiing. 
clear my head. I've been skiing a lot. I love skiing. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I went up to Brighton on New Year's Day. I was expecting an awful crowd, and I didn't have to wait in a single line. Say what? Right on the lift all day and skied all day until I just couldn't even stand up anymore. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Dude, that's awesome. We tried to go up on New Year's Eve, and it was disaster. So oh. many people. Oh. Oh. Smart. Well, it was bitter cold on New Year's Day. I will say that. Yeah. But uh, Dan, but yeah, I, so I, I follow that, and I I think that New Year's Day morning is the best day of skiing of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. We just we had a blast. Good snow. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, I've been riding a little bit um, the last few months, but nothing serious. Just all right fun That's and good. staying in shape and now come january it, it all starts ramping up ramp it up let's go um so if you don't know dan um chip and i were introduced to dan because he's our neighbor so we would see dan out and about um i remember very distinctively dan one time we were going up i, I don't even remember how we made we were going up american fort canyon and we left early like we left we left holiday at like five <laughs> And you were already coming back down <laughs> and you were alone. And I'm like, what is he doing alone? We have to uh, connect with Dan. And then I guess, I don't know if the rest was history, but he's Dan's been a sponsor of the team for the last two years. Uh, and then basically on every, we could be number one training partners, Dan. I mean, we're together almost every morning. So mm-hmm. very fun. fun. Um, Dan, I hesitate, but I, I'm going to do it. We have an introduction from Dan's wife. There, there's no hesitation on this. This may be, I don't know, to do it justice, this may be the best introduction in our podcast series, period. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to read it, and we'll make some commentary, some lighthearted commentary. It starts with, my name is Meg, and my husband Dan is an addict, a cycling addict. When he proposed, I had no idea I would spend... of our marriage pulling wet lycra out of the washing machine and hanging it on to dry on every banister and railing in our house. I freaking love that. Dan started off as a runner, but after an orthopedic surgeon told him he had the ankles of a 96-year-old man, he started mountain biking for exercise. Stu, we may just need to pause after each paragraph because there's too much meat on the on this intro. Dude, it's um, only funny because my entire basement is a laundry service for freaking bike kits. It's the same oh, yeah. thing. I'm gonna share something because uh, <laughs> my wife does not usually uh-huh. uh, listen to every podcast. I'm gonna tell you guys, I do all my cycling laundry great. on my own. That's great, and oh, it just kind of simmers. Mm-hmm. simmers that down a little bit Dan so I'm, I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> I'm convinced that's why Jake has so many kits he just it's a one and done kind of scenario I think she especially loves it when I pull the bibs inside out after a Zwift mm-hmm. session and just Mark. throw them right on top of the basket <laughs> yeah 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 oh my gosh Uh, okay moving on paragraph two dan's secret complete snob for years and refused to even try road biking but after our last kid ended up to be surprised twins he was too scared to ask me for enough time to drive up to the mountain bike on the mountain and drive home from the mountain it wouldn't have have ended well for anyone so his older brother mark had been a cyclist for years and convinced dan to give road biking a chance 
on one of his very first road rides, a sentry in Park City. He almost died. But then a monster was born. And for the last, Dan, do you remember that ride? Is that clear? Oh, man. Moment? It's, uh, that was, uh, so it was supposed to be 100 miles mm-hmm. toward a Park City back in the days oh, out to uh, wow. like yeah. Wolf Creek area. Yeah. Well, they forgot to put somebody out there at the turnaround point. Yeah. So we ended up in Hannah or some other city. Anyway, oh, you went a, down? Oh, we went over all the way down. Oh, that's yeah, terrible. I think we ended up doing 130 or 140 miles. Oh, I had never man. ridden more than about 30 before that day. Oh, that's bad. And uh, yeah, I just I wanted to cry when I got off the bike. Mm-hmm. Just the ground. Now that. Uh, for the last 10 years, Dan's gotten up around 5 a.m. She has no idea. You're up probably at 4 a.m. almost every day. <laughs> So he can get his miles in and still be a dad to our six kids, eight chickens, and a very needy dog. Yes. Very good. He's ridden Lodija as a relay three times, raced solo six times. Only one of those solo races ended in the back of an ambulance. So that's pretty good, I guess. Can't wait for that story. <laughs> wait, is that story, is that on lockdown or are you going to tell us that no, one? No, let's just go there. I think yeah. we go let's there. Just hear it. Let's go just there go now. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have to preface this with the day before. So this is in 2015. And <laughs> I know this story. I do know this story. Okay. I This is the year that I became a Cat 3 racer and entered the Road Masters, Masters Road National Championship. It was held up in Ogden at Snow Basin. I was so excited and uh, also so out of my league. <laughs> uh, I got dropped on the on the in the first five miles of that race and uh spent 60 miles in the heat just suffering ran out of water and uh ended up in the health tent or whatever after that that was on friday friday and uh just drank water nonstop that night um drove up to logan and uh started loaded just saturday morning and I mean, you talk about sore, you know, just really sore legs at the beginning of loaded is never a good sign. And uh, I toughed it out. Uh, I tried to quit a couple of times. My wife uh, bullied me into staying on my bike and uh, I finished and rolled into the finish. And I don't remember a lot after oh. that, except that I was having a lot of chest pains um having trouble breathing just had these sharp pains in my chest i I remember laying down in a cot in the little tent there and i i actually don't remember riding in an ambulance she says it happened i don't remember that it happened but But you finished i finished (laughs) and finished ended up in the er there in jackson hole and uh three liters of fluids later um oh discharged and made it to the million dollar cowboy for burgers with my brothers yes. Yes. So, yes. that was we shouldn't laugh about this but it's just like <laughs> kind of a familiar thing that we see sometimes <laughs> oh man this year it was nobody damp. wants to be that guy that's hauled nope. away in the back of an ambulance after loaded everybody's staring at you so great though yeah uh, good memories uh, this is a great this is incredible <laughs> So for the last three years, Dan, uh, Dan, his brothers and best friends rented an RV and have done the Cocapelli Relay, which was the 
Rockwell Relay, uh, Climb Pikes Peak. I saw that picture. The Mount Whitney Portal, Mount Evans, Haleakala this year, and many more. He also got a VPN so he can watch every monument, classic, and tour event at ungodly hours and different languages that he doesn't speak. <laughs> I, that is, I love that, dude. It's my favorite thing that you watch those. Um, and so good. Okay. I'm professionally 30% fluent in Dutch. Do you, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> professionally, Dan, a periodontist uh, who's beloved by his patients, team, and peers. He's been awarded Professor of the Year by the dental residents at the University of Utah and is constantly disappointing little old grandmas who want to line him up with their grandchildren. Sorry, old ladies. Uh, Things that make Dan, I love this paragraph, things that make Dan a great doctor, husband, and father are the same things that make him a great cycling companion. He's meticulous, detail-oriented, and more importantly, he is unfailing, unfailing and unyieldingly kind. There are no games with Dan. What you see is what you get. He's competitive, but mostly only with himself. He loves riding with complete novices who wear their kids' helmets and Nikes as much as he does love racing Cat 3 cyclists. I agree. As long as he has a hill to climb, he's happy. And because he's so kind and patient and because he mostly tries not to make fun of me for almost totaling our car on an Idaho service road after I got lost driving loaded just support last year. Let's, I, let's, let's, let's I talk keep, about that, Dan. I mean, what is she saying? your wife is making How fun is that of even you possible? a little bit. Yeah, you, you go ahead and let's hear it. That's let's no, hear the story. This is all on her. She, she decided that the route that they give you in the Lodija Bible, uh, she just wasn't going to do that big loop through, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, Idaho Springs. Mm-hmm. And uh, she found a dirt road that she was, Great. you know, according to Google Maps, that was going to get her there <laughs> twice as fast and with less traffic. So anyway, dirt road turned into forest, uh, overgrown trees, got her car stuck in the mud. Really? got pulled over by a cop and ticketed for not following yes, the, yes. the the route thought that i was going to get kicked out of loaded oh my god really this is 2020 this was last year yeah so actually so i hit montpelier <laughs> and uh she's not there <laughs> to provide support and i'm going meg meg i'm yelling at the top of my lungs and some lady in a midwale shirt comes up she goes what's wrong baby you look lost <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man i was so disappointed that she wasn't there but uh that's the group is great there are a bunch of uh support people there that gave me a water bottle and some food and sent me on my way and um anyway finally met up with my wife later on in the day dude so good (laughs) so then she did she kind of break it to you at the next feed zone or just only a partial uh, i was, of I was the halfway story. up salt river and i look over i'm dying because i've only had like two bottles and, uh, and i'm at salt salt river i'm dying yeah i look over and there she is right next to me with the window yeah. down and your car trying to apologize to bits <laughs> um there may have been a few choice words shared between us <laughs> oh good dude i love loaded jeff <laughs> All right. Last, last paragraph. Uh, this is completely unrelated, but I will never have this platform again. I want to make sure everyone knows that he has an unhealthy obsessions with obsession with vans, shoes, and currently owns 24 pair. Nice. 
Nice. I had to give up a full shelf in our closet for his fancy foot. There's nothing wrong with that. That is not weird in any way. I love, I love my Vance. That's yep. great. All right, Dan, tell us about family, background, history. Uh, let's just like get to know you. Well, gosh, but wait, I think that, sorry, can I, that sums oh, it up, doesn't it? Oh, chip. <laughs> yeah, those those vans, uh, we just skipped over there. Do you like the slip-ons more, Dan? Do you like every kind of vans that tie up? Like, what are? Yeah, I'm a laces guy. I've uh-huh. got one pair of slip-ons, and I wear them at work every once in a while. Um, they're actually custom-made, the slip-ons, from a record shop in Chicago. I bought them during the pandemic nice. to support the... Whoa. support the small businesses that Vance uh-huh, I'm sure you did. I was a yeah. sucker for that campaign <laughs> and uh but no mostly just uh the, the old school lace-up yep cool so good um so uh yeah do yeah. it you want me to do it yeah uh so yeah I, I moved around a lot growing up um mostly lived back east um lived in Connecticut and North Carolina and Atlanta, graduated from high school in Atlanta and went out to BYU where I met Meg, my wife, and uh, she was in my apartment complex and upset that I had never asked her out on a date. So came over and knocked on my door one day and chewed me out for never asking her out. (laughs) And uh, then she proposed to me a few short months later and the rest is history. No, I proposed to her, but uh, <laughs> she uh, she was definitely the driving force. I was uh, naive and still trying to figure figure things out. We uh, we moved to Pittsburgh, where I went to dental school. My father in law affectionately calls Pittsburgh the armpit of the nation, uh, but I thought it was a pretty cool city. If I ever moved back east, um, I've again I've lived in a lot of places, but if I ever moved back east, I'd go to Pittsburgh in a heartbeat. Fun mm-hmm. place. Nice. Uh, did my periodontics residency in Iowa, and mm. you want to talk about armpit of America, man? Is that nothing? There's nothing there. Mm. There was the mall, the university, and a uh, merry-go-round. That was about it. <laughs> and then we moved to Utah. We've been here for almost 15 years, and I've got a practice down on Highland Drive, 4200 South and Highland Drive. So just right across the street from our neighborhood here and yeah um i uh i love what i do and it's uh it's been a good career um what what do you explain what you do dan what is yeah that? so periodontist so we essentially um we treat gum disease so infection disease in the mouth um, we do a lot of dental implants if you're familiar with that that basically that's a tooth replacement if you lose a tooth and uh and then we do a lot of gum grafting those are probably the three main pillars of my practice gum grafting dental implants and treating gum disease and dan's job requires him to be at work at a very i mean let's talk about that how you balance this uh this sport we obsess about with uh, life yeah yeah, it's an it's an eight to five job. Um, I'm in my office three days a week. I teach at the University of Utah Dental School a day and a half a week, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, you can't. Uh, I can't do my job via Zoom. I really wish I could. And I've told you guys many times through the pandemic how jealous I was of you that were able to do that. But uh, 
but pretty much I, if I don't ride by five 30 in the morning, I'm, there's no time between my kids, my family, my job, uh, owning a business and everything that comes with that. Um, it's, it's first thing in the morning or not at all. Yeah. yeah. So I, and it's hard because, uh, I, I'm super passionate about cycling. I love it. It's a huge part of my life. So, um, it's, it's a hard balancing act. It's one of the hardest acts I do. Well, it's not just time spent either. It's like, how tired am I going to be? How worn out is my body? You know, it's not just like, oh, it's a couple hours in the morning. It's like all those factors. I need to have steady hands at work. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you stay off Zwift. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so Meg kind of alluded to it, but how did you, how did it start? Like, um, tell us like that history of, of, um, yeah, started in 2012. I had a patient who needed some work done, dental work done, and he owned a bike shop. And he said, hey, how about you come pick out a bike and, and we'll do a trade straight up. Dang. And I, my brother was biking, trying to get me into it. And I thought, and my wife's right, I was really a mountain biking snob. I just, I was never going to get into road biking, but I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And uh, bought the bike and I didn't realize I had to buy this, you know, then you got to buy the shoes and I got to buy the gloves and I got to buy the kit and the repair kit. And mm-hmm. I mean, you're not just buying a bike. You're, I think I spend as much on all the extras as I did for the bike. Right. And, uh, and I remember my first ride, I told Meg, I'm going to ride to uh, Tanner's park and back. I thought that'd be a long ride. And about eight minutes later, I call her on the phone from Tanner's park and I said, I'm already here. So, uh, I think I'm going to go a little bit further and, you know, know, 10 years later, um, I'm still always looking for that chance to go just a little bit further. I, uh, I just want to keep pushing it. My goal this year is to, I want to do the, um, Hoodoo 300, um, down in Southern Utah and see if I can, Pull that off solo. I figure if I can do 203 miles, I can do 300. I don't know if that math is correct, but I'm standing (laughs) behind you. I'm standing behind you. Yeah. Dan, talk about that event just a little bit. The Hoodoo 300? Yeah. Yeah. So it starts in St. George and ends in St. George. It covers a lot of the same route as the second half of Cocopelli. Mm -hmm. Kind of goes up and through that area. So you've got um, I think you have 36 hours to finish and, uh, it is, it's a solo event. You can't draft, you can't, um, really, so we can have support. No, no, I was, um, so, uh, Meg talked about my best, my good friend, Kyle Hill. He's a duole as well. He and I, um, are just always looking out for that next adventure and, so this was one that we've been talking about. And I, at first I thought, well, we'll write it together and work together. And then I read the rules. No, you gotta, you can't be, uh, within, um, drafting distance of somebody for more than 10 seconds. That's crazy. Can you so, do it on a TT at any point? Can you, are, is there any bike swaps in the rules? If you can't draft, can you ride a different bike? That's a great question. And I don't know the answer to it. Mm. Um, but it is addressed in the, yeah, that's in the Bible, but I can't remember what it says. Okay. What date are we prepping for? When is this? <laughs> yeah. 
This is the night before Lodija. No, this is, uh, <laughs> this is two weeks before Lodija. So oh, I think it's okay. the 26th ish of, of August. Yeah. Yeah. It this is a fairly new event, since. isn't it? I mean, the, the, this has been around uh, the country, but it's only been in Utah for a couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's been around a little bit. This, but uh, huh. this is the yeah, this is the second or third year that it's kind of been on my mind. So we're thinking what? How many hours is this? Fourteen, fifteen. Well, this is a lot of climbing. This is a oh. lot more climbing than um, Lodija. Um, yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, this is gonna be like an eighteen to twenty hour oh, event for me. I don't know. Can't wait. Dang. I'm not so worried send, about that. Send Just want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Gay, we got to hear about some of these. I mean, you've done Cocapelli the last couple of years. Any good stories? Any Cocapelli like- is is one of my favorite events. And if anybody's listening that's even remotely thinking about doing it, grab three so buddies fun. and go do it because mm-hmm. it's just it's an experience like no other. I just. I love that race. But uh, so last year, my, so I do this with my brothers and Kyle. And last year, uh, we had the goal to be under 30 hours for our team. We've been right around the 31 hour mark um, the previous two years. And last year, we wanted to be under 30 hours. And uh, about halfway through Capitol Reef, uh, which is my leg, I... I get the runs and something's not happy in my stomach and we rented an RV for this. And so they're pulled over on the side of the road, ready to throw bottles at me. And all I do is throw my bike at them and run in the RV. <laughs> and, and I'm in there for like 20 minutes trying to get myself settled down and finally get on the bike and go riding again. Well, guess what our time was? 30 oh, hours and 20 minutes exactly. Oh, no. And so they don't let me live that down. They remind me that the 20 minutes I spent tearing <laughs> myself out was the difference between us being under That's 30 unfair. hours. That's unfair. That's <laughs> unfair. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, in the middle of the night, there, there's some dark moments in mm-hmm. Cocopelli where you just, you want to throw up, you want to quit. Yeah. You do not feel good, but uh, at least for me, the morning comes, the sun comes back up and there's something changes and it's all exciting again. And so that's a cool event. That would be, that would be another epic solo ride right there someday. Chip's always doing the leg where the sun's coming up. Mm-hmm. Which is the best. It is. Yeah. We've done it twice. Yeah. That's yeah. the, uh, is that Penguich to um, top of Cedar Breaks? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he like winds under the, yeah, that's the one. That so is, fun. That is a great leg. One of my favorite legs of that race. Mm-hmm. That climb up through Cedar Breaks is just spectacular. Um, we gotta. We don't have to. You can just say pass. But uh, loaded you this year. Oof. Mm. Yeah, it was not. Uh, it's you know you work you work hard and you set personal goals and when things don't come together right because of a stupid decision, you, uh, uh, you regret it. Yeah. So I had a rain jacket in my back pocket and, uh, I just thought, no, it's not cold. It's not too cold. I'm not too wet. 
and it just kept raining and it kept raining and even climbing up uh, strawberry. I, mm-hmm. I guess I was working so hard. I stayed warm and still felt good. But as soon as we started that descent, oh man, that mm-hmm. cold wet hit me and I was chilled to the bone. Um, I don't know. You guys remember riding up and over a guardsman that this last oh, yeah. year that we froze our tails off and well one guy and... didn't on this podcast because he wrapped his hands in toilet paper <laughs> from the toilet at the top of guardsman Pass. oh man you gave your arm warmers to your wife i don't know how you did that descent but anyway <laughs> you know just i could not stop shaking uh when i rolled into montpelier i was chattering and uh spent about 30 minutes in my brother's car trying to warm up Dang, dude. and uh you know, by then the race is over. It just became a ride. Yeah. So tough. Gonna, you finished. I finished, and uh, we'll use that as a little motivation to be better prepared for next year. This year. Nice. Nice. Man. All right, Chip. That was a, yeah, that was a, that was, uh, we hear so much about Snodaja uh, from that year that it snowed so hard, but we really experienced all of us, this rain of Lodija this last year. I, um, rode with Dan, um, That's right, as he, yeah. from Montpelier. So it was good to connect and ride with Dan, but that, that was, that was a tough one. Um, that was. um, Dan, you just, uh, started getting into, um, uh, gravel riding and got a new bike this last year. We are so excited to start, um, venturing out on some dirt with you. Yes. I'm excited to do some dirt rides. I've done a few this year. I haven't done as much as didn't do as much as I thought I would, but, uh, I'm excited. There's some routes I really want to try. I'm hoping you'll take me on a few. Six yep. total bikes, though, Chip. How, I mean, what's your total? That's pretty yeah, good, Dan. It's right around there. What are the two specialized? You have the. I've got a SL7. I've got a new SL7 that I just built up this year, and I've got a, a Tarmac Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it the Chameleon. It kind of changes colors depending on the light. Uh, anyway, I'm trying to offload that one right now. I'm trying. To, I've got somebody who has it on loan and is considering buying it (laughs) um i've got my canyon that i keep on my trainer i've got my canyon ultimate that i uh, use as my backup on the road Uh, i've got a canyon mountain bike and then i've got my can my vent gravel bike Um, quiver i've got a little uh, i've got a little uh, beach cruiser as well that i love Mm -hmm. um chasing the kids around the neighborhood i'm adding that to show notes beach cruiser yep <laughs> everybody needs a good beach cruiser that's right nice all right hey so maybe let's talk about before um me duele and then where you spend most of your time like favorite races events some memories and stuff so how did i mean how did you used to manage cycling before we met yeah so i started out i have a a really good friend who is a actually a cycling coach and we were friends before i was into cycling 
and really before she was doing coaching, but, uh, she, once I started biking, she's, um, she said, I'd love to train you. And, and so I worked with her for about four or five years and, and it was good. Um, and I learned a lot and, um, she was an amazing coach and just really supportive and kind of really helped me get to that. Um, I wanted to upgrade to that cat three level and she, um, really worked hard with me to make that happen. And, and, uh, uh, we've remained good friends. I stopped training with her in about 2017. Um, so that whole time I was riding with the Intermountain Livewell group. Uh, they really are more more northern Utah. I didn't have anybody down here that I was actually riding with, but uh, um, I liked the charity side, the charity arm of their team, and so um, I joined their team. and And then uh, Kyle and I connected and became good friends. Kyle Hill and he said, "You know, you should check out the Dwoles." And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Great. It's pretty short history, actually. It's a, yeah, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> um, as we move in, maybe maybe to uh, part two here, talking about your training, your mindset, your family, how you balance. Um, maybe talk about some of your favorite events. I know we've already talked about Coca Pelli, but dude, in order to get that Cat Three, you had to do a lot of stuff, like a lot of events. Um, you're just constantly racing, like looking for stuff to do any favorites or or why you do that i yeah i just i love the i love the feel of racing i love testing myself against myself more than anything and uh favorite races i love east canyon echo road race that's probably Mm. uh, that was my very first race that i ever did uh i guess that part that tour to part city is not really a race that was a a grand fondo, if you will, but this was my first actual sanctioned race was this East Canyon echo road race. And, um, man, what a miserable day that was on the bike, but <laughs> learned so much about myself. Um, rain and snow the entire time on that. And, uh, that was a crazy day, but, uh, I, uh, sugar house crit. That's the only crit race I'll do There's a couple of Hills in there to break it up. And, <laughs> and uh love the sugar house crit uh porcupine hill climb that's that's another one do you love that uh, mm-hmm. as far as events you know sanctioned events those are my tops top three probably tell us about yeah. mount evans but though. uh but then as much as i love racing i love uh, my wife said that in the intro there i just love climbing and so i'm always looking for a, a climbing challenge and, uh, and so my brother and I got this idea a few years ago that we try to climb some of these long climbs, hard climbs, tall climbs. And that's how we found Mount Evans. Mount Evans is the highest paved road in North America. Nice. And it's just outside of Denver. Um, and so we went down there, stayed in the basement of a bicycle shop, actually, was the Airbnb. It was so cool. <laughs> and uh road from it was uh called idaho i think it was called idaho springs uh, idaho springs colorado Perfect. and uh that makes it's sense. right at the i yeah, know 
right at the base of Mount Evans. So we rode straight out of our Airbnb and it's a 30 mile climb. You get up just over up to 14,200 feet. Um, you think you start at 7,000 feet roughly. And uh, that was an awesome climb. Just what a cool experience. And, uh, and then we did Independence Pass the next day. Um, from the Leadville side up and over and then descended into Aspen. What an awesome descent that was. It was Ooh. just, just so fast and sweeping turns. It was really cool. So then our next, uh, you know, the second highest peak is Pikes Peak. We did that a couple of years later. And uh, that is much harder than Mount Evans. So mm. that's, uh, that's a much steeper gradient and, that really the last thousand feet of climbing really hurt hmm. um, on that one. But I've again, driven that Dan, is that, is it still gravel or is it like paved for it's all paved all the way to the top, huh. all the way to the top. It's just smooth, beautiful tarmac now. Yeah. It's pretty new. Wow. Um, a few years ago, Kyle and my brothers and I went out to Owens Valley, California, and we did, uh, over three days, we did Horseshoe Meadows, Whitney Portal, and Onion Valley Road. Onion Valley Road is, um, in some circles, considered one of the hardest climbs uh, in the country. It's a, it's a sustained 9% for 12 miles. Uh, there's no let up um, at all. It's, uh, it's 9% pretty much the whole way. There's and, no tanner uh, flats? There is, there's not a single flat on that, on that climb, but I will say, uh, again, you want to talk about epic climbs, the horseshoe meadows climb is, um, you sh everybody should Google it. There's, it's cut out of this mountainside. You've got full view of the valley, the whole way up zigzags. It looks like a Z cut into the side of the mountain. Um, this climb going up and over into horseshoe meadows. It's, uh, stunning so yeah and then uh kyle and i invented the double yes. baked potato last year here it comes we uh wait double baked potato yeah so the baked potato i did the year before with my brother-in-law and that was just uh from salt lake up to malad city where my in-laws have a cabin and kyle and i decided if we're gonna ride up we might as well ride back so uh, last year we rode up, spent the night and finally about 11 o'clock the next day, convinced ourselves to get back on the bike and ride back down to Salt Lake. <laughs> oh. uh, 125 miles each way. Uh, and it was, it was a fun adventure. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Great name. Oh, nice dude. Well, um, with so much cycling, I mean, you've mentioned it a few times and, and Meg mentioned it. Um, it's kind of an awesome opportunity to maybe talk to the team and listeners about how you balance it all, you know, family an incredible job. Um, what advice would you give on how you balance this sport? So in 2015, again, that was the year where I was trying to upgrade and I wanted to achieve a couple of goals and I was talking with Rachel my coach about it and and she said you know 
you could do these things that you want to do, but the question is, what are you willing to sacrifice to do them? Hmm. And that comment just kind of hung in my head for weeks, if not months, as I thought about that. Like, what am I willing to give up to achieve these goals? And and then I just kind of had this realization one day that, you know, I have nothing to prove. I'm not, what am I really trying to accomplish? I'm really just trying to have fun and stay healthy and um, burn off some stress. And so I have just come to this realization that I cannot take myself seriously on too seriously on the bike. It's um, I, I have a greater purpose in life. I have a greater uh, responsibility and that's my family. And, and they do come first. My kids often joke that, uh, well, I'll tell you the story. So uh, my mother-in-law got locked out of the house, her house once, and she threw a bicycle through a window because her kids were in the house. Her little babies were in the house. She threw a bicycle through the window to get her kids out of the house. And my kids turned around and looked at me and they go, you know what? I know dad would throw us through the window to get his bikes out of the house if we ever got locked out of the house. <laughs> so I remind them and I remind myself frequently that no, I would never throw my kids through a window to rescue my bike if it got locked inside the house. <laughs> but, uh, but I am as guilty as anybody of putting my hobbies um, sometimes before my family. And, and so... I am lucky to be surrounded by good people who uh, remind me what's really important. That's my family. I've got amazing kids and an amazing supportive wife who lets me do some of these crazy things. And, um, but then also knows when to say, Hey, Dan, this is too much. You got to stop for a little bit. That's great. Yeah. I remember I was training for a half Ironman. It's like 2015 and, I finished it and I remember we went to church that Sunday and Kristen was telling one of the ladies in our ward or whatever our church and she was like yeah my husband did Ironman for years and she goes there's nothing more selfish than an <laughs> and I was standing there and Kristen looked at me and she was like mm -hmm. no, I'm done I ain't I'm never doing another one like <laughs> it's actually I think about it all the time but yeah. it is tough it's hard to balance them so. so again, another reason to ride at five, five thirty in the morning. Yeah. Because I can be home and, and dedicate the time I need to dedicate to my family. Nice. Well, Dan, um, when we met a couple of years ago, uh, you told me about your, uh, I thought it was an incredible story about your adopted son, your youngest boy. Um, do you want to share it? I mean, you want to talk about your, your family? I think it's an incredible story to share that people will have incredible insight to you when they hear it. Yeah. Crying is allowed too. If you want to cry. <laughs> oh man. Has anybody cried on the podcast yet? Only sharp. When sharp talk, only when sharp, sharp talks cried. about his gooch. Yep. <laughs> we can't tell why he's crying. Um, Either pain or joy. So, uh, several years ago, um, I was, uh, I was kind of at a, point where I was doing a little bit of soul searching and um, I was listening to a podcast and I 
was sitting in a parking lot in American Fork of a dental office, actually. I was waiting for them to open. Um, it was about 7.30 in the morning. And I was listening to the podcast. And I'm not going to get uh, religious or spiritual here on this podcast. If, there, if anybody wants more details on that end of it, feel free to reach out to me. But We don't uh, have the explicit rating, Dan. You can go for it. <laughs> but uh, this particular podcast was just, um, well, just it was talking about being how uh, how to be a true disciple of Christ. And as I was listening to it, this impression came into my head that um, I needed to adopt a kid. And mind you, I have five kids already at this point. Our youngest kids are twins who just they're wonderful. I love them, but you know, twins rock your world when they're, when they're really young. And, uh, and I was like, no, this, no, I can't, we can't do that. But this feeling just kept coming back to me, um, that we were, that we were supposed to do this. And I remember texting my wife, you know, I, I like, I just, <laughs> Stu, you know, my wife, you know, how you probably imagine her response. She read the text and sent me some emojis and said, no, 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 this, no way. We are not, a, we are not ready for that. Um, and this was in February and a couple of months went by and I just kind of kept it to myself. Um, but the feeling didn't go away. Like it just kept getting stronger and stronger. And I kept being through random weird ways. I kept being brought back to this talk that I had heard and other people bringing it up and it just it just kept coming back and uh i and i said again to meg i said i think we need to adopt and and she said i'm not ready and uh and then in may or june one day she came home from a meeting and she said uh we need to adopt a kid uh she had she had a similar experience to what i had and uh and so we started the process and uh, we went through, you know, where do we adopt from boy, girl, how do we do this? We start doing research. We find out that there's just like, you know, adoption can be a really good thing, but it can also be a super traumatic thing for people. And um, there are horrible things that are happening in our world with adoption and, and child trafficking. Um, and so we were scared. I mean, we just didn't know how to go about it. And, uh, but we had some friends who had adopted and uh, were able to give us some good advice. And, you know, we gave it a lot of thought and we finally decided um, that we were going to adopt a, a quote unquote special needs child from China. And the, um, paperwork alone took about a year and a half to do just the, just i mean before you can even start thinking about getting a child in your in your home or um so we did all the paperwork and um and and then the adoption agency at that point they start sending you files and now when you uh, adopt a special needs child you fill out a medical form of things that you're willing to conditions you're willing to take on um, and that kind of like 
pulls at your heartstrings a little bit when you start reading through that list of all the medical conditions. It's it's like, who am I to say I can't um, take on this or I can't take on that? Like, where did I all of a sudden earn the right to become the judge? But uh, but you go through this list and and so we checked off things that we were willing to to take on and and then they send you a file. Um, they send you videos, they send you pictures, they send you a, a several pages of medical history. And again, another really gut-wrenching process of, is this the right child for us? Um, and if it's if not, you know, if there's like a, there's an element of guilt there. Like, how do you say no? Um, and so they sent us a file um, in late summer, and we were actually on vacation in California. We had our kids all gather around and we looked at this file together. And uh, we consulted with some pediatricians here and ultimately decided not to take this child. Um, and man, there were a lot of tears shed as we made that decision. Our kids were kind of crying about it too, because um, uh, they were all in on this with us. It was really amazing. Um, but we said no. And, uh, and then a few couple of months later, another file came and it was our son. And, uh, we did the, we did our homework and, and consulted with some doctors and we said, yeah, we can, this is something we can do. And, uh, and so that was in, I guess that was in August. Maybe that was September. That was in September. And, um, by November we were, on a plane, took two of our kids with us and flew out to China. Uh, my amazing wife spent three and a half weeks out there doing um, paperwork and getting visas and passports done. Um, but uh, the cool thing is um, we got to the city. I mean, there's a group of seven of us that went out, seven families were adopting and we, our son Isaac had full cleft lip and palate uh, when he was born and was put up. Um, he was born in a very destitute circumstance and his the doctors told his parents he wouldn't survive. And so the dad left him on the, on the side of a highway and he was found. And I'll tell you how I know that here in a second, but, uh, but he had a surgery done while he was in the orphanage and they did the initial correction. He's had a couple more since he's been back here, but um, I, the day that we uh, went into this room to meet our kids, these seven families walk in there. Um, this little boy comes running out of that room and it was the first kid that we had been sent the file for. Hmm. And so as horrible as I felt at the time that we weren't taking this kid, like that was resolved for me because I knew he had a family and, and he was the funniest kid just came bolting out, running around in the parking lot. They had like 20 people chasing him, trying to uh, bring him back in, just laughing the whole time. And, uh, and then I walked into the room. I was the first, uh, I guess Meg was in front of me, and I, but I walked in and saw Isaac there and Isaac looked at me and his eyes got really big and his nanny set him down and he just bolted for me and ran into my arms 
And uh, I mean, the connection was immediate. Like it just, you know, the two years of paperwork and these feelings that I had had just all came together in this one moment as I held him. And, uh, and I knew that he was, you know, he was supposed to be mine and he was supposed to be ours. Um, How old was he at that point, Dan? He was two and a half. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, so he's six now. And, and so uh, my two kids that were with us and I, uh, I went back after two weeks, I went back. um, I came back home to go back to work. And Meg finished, uh, Meg's dad flew out and did the last week with her to finish up the adoption and bring Isaac home. And um, after he had been with us for a few months, uh, Meg found this lady who specializes in um, finding adopted children's birth parents uh, and specifically in China. And we, and she said, this is a shot in the dark. She said, I, you know, my statistics are low, but if you want me to try, we can try. And so we created a flyer with pictures of Isaac and his story. She translated all of it into Chinese. She went to the, so we knew at that time, the police station where he was taken. That's all we knew. And so in all the little towns around that, police station we had these 500 flyers that we had made up and she just stapled them in the center of town or in play in uh, parks and playgrounds and places like that a little boy found um, one of the flyers and took it to his class at school and gave it to the teacher the teacher read the flyer and she said i think this sounds familiar to me this story sounds familiar to me um I know of a family that gave up their child about this time in this area. Um, And she contacted us and uh, she said, I, um, the, there's a Chinese festival coming up and I'm off work. It's about a two hour drive. I'll go out there. If you want me to go out there and try and see if it's them. And we were like, wow, that's really nice of you. Um, Would we be really grateful. And so she went out, and visited this family. She took a bunch of videos. Um, I can't even tell you how lowly their circumstances were. I just, um, it's, but uh, she found them and uh, they corroborated the story. They have two other kids, two older kids, a boy and a girl. And, uh, and so the next step is to do a DNA test. And so we, um, uh, it's kind of illegal to send a DNA test to China. So we had to um, take it all apart, disassemble it in a box with a bunch of pencils and erasers and school supplies, sent it to this lady in China who delivered it to the school teacher who then drove it out to the parents. The parents took the test, brought it back reassembled it in this box with all the school supplies, sent it back, sent in the, the results, um, sent in Isaac's DNA test. And it was a, it was a perfect match. Wow. And, uh, and so um, 
we uh my wife has done most of the communicating with them um it's mostly been with the grandparents i think um, it's been hard for the parents to stay in touch with us but the grandparents have been really good about uh in fact chinese new year is just right around the corner here and we always get a little message from them wishing isaac a happy chinese new year and uh, we share pictures back and forth with them um so it's uh it's it's just been an unbelievable experience You're crazy how did it change your family like is it uh i think uh you know every our kids our other our natural kids our biological kids are are 100 behind us um that you ask any one of them they would say um that it's felt like he's been with us you know he's always been a part of our family um every it's been it's been very natural he shares a room um, with our 13 year old actually they are as tight as two <laughs> individuals can be um and uh when she doesn't come in to go to bed at night he gets upset and runs around to find her because he wants <laughs> he wants to be around her um yeah he he's got an older brother that he loves to do a lot of nintendo stuff together and um, he's a great kid. Yeah. Mm. What a story, man. Nice, Dan. Um, I mean, it's just such a cool insight into who you are and your mm -hmm. family and um, kind of the type of life that you live, um, which is one of the things I love about you. Um, as we kind of wrap up, as we, as we finish up, um, you are wise, dude. You're a smart guy. And what advice would you give to, to people listening stuff you've learned over the years, whether it's cycling or, or life lessons, anything that, that you would, uh, that you kind of pass on and share. So, uh, I have this work mantra that I use with my staff and it's a extension of, I think, uh, what my, uh, personal mantra is. And so, um, I know you said three things, but I'm going to give you four things. <laughs> um, the first, so the, the acronym is CARE. You know, when at work, we say we're going to show our patients that we care. And what does CARE mean? Well, the C is for connect. We're going to connect with our patients and, and, and make a connection, make a personal connection with them. Um, number two is achieve. So achieve good results. Um, or accomplish, accomplish good. Um, number three, recognize our successes um, with our patients when we have them. And number four, uh, and this is my favorite one, is enjoy the ride. And uh, I always try to enjoy the ride. Um, in fact, I'd probably put that first and, and then everything else seems to fall into place. But um, in all my relationships um, with my family with my friends um i love to see people achieve things that they don't think they can achieve do hard things i um, i always tell my kids to else do hard things um but then when we do achieve something that's hard um it's really important to recognize it and and uh show show them what they're able to do and what they're capable of um so those are my uh 
those are my life, my life lessons. Beauty. Chip, any follow-up? Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes we think that um, it, it, it's often shared that Midwelly has a, a great culture about it. And um, it's important for us to remember that Midwelly does not create the culture, but it is the people that create the culture within Midwelly. And so grateful for Dan being one of those people that create this culture uh, that we belong to, that we're able to participate in, um, and just awesome culture that has been shared today for sure. Nice. Thanks. hundred percent, Chip. Thank well, you, Dan. You guys, you guys have set a, a bar and, uh, man, I'm really glad I found this team and I'm grateful every day to be a part of it. It's, yes. uh, I know that, uh, you know, you think about me and I think about some people that do and don't belong to our team that we've rallied around over the years. We've gone through some hard times. You know, this is more than just a, a cycling team. This is a brotherhood sisterhood and, um, it's, it's special and you guys really set that tone. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks Dan. 2022 it'll be, be it's going to be the best yet can't wait oh i can't wait got some good plans <laughs> this year <laughs> can't wait for hoodoo yeah <laughs> come right, support me yeah i'll be yeah. there dude i'll yeah. i guess i'll ride behind you i don't know i thought i was gonna ride in front of you but <laughs> i guess uh, i'll ride behind yeah all right man thank you dan for your time i appreciate you're a busy man so I'm grateful that you'd prepare and and share with us. It's been awesome. Thanks, Dan.